Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I am joined by Tara. Hello Tara. What's up guys? I have my list of my red pen ready because today we're discussing animal attack movies. Just like we discussed previously in our Vampires episode, there are a lot of animal attack movies or animals gone wrong or science gone wrong or giant monsters. And so, of course, this list is not all-inclusive. We have eliminated some classic amazing films like Jurassic Park, Jaws, The Birds, because those would be obvious choices. In fact, those would probably be my three if they were on this list. I'm going to go with they probably would be with me as well. Maybe The Birds would be more iffy because... By the time I saw The Birds, I already knew the premise of it, and it just wasn't as scary as it could be. The actual production of The Birds was a lot scarier than the movie of The Birds. I like The Birds. I like Hitchcock. But did you know that there was a Birds 2 made for Showtime in, like, 1992? And I'm guessing it wasn't very good? It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Now, the original The Birds, the reason The Birds go crazy is because someone keeps, like, a pair of lovebirds in a cage, if I remember right? I don't think it's ever explained. It's just a natural phenomenon. The Birds just go nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, that's, man, they could have used that in The Happening. Not just the plants, the plants and the birds. That would have been really good. Or anything else in The Happening. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. okay. If we're going to go back to The Happening. No, we're not. No, stop referencing our other episodes. We've already, that's two now. We've already referenced our Vampires and Shyamalan episodes. Hey, that was you that did that. <laughs> anyway. You should remove at least the ones that you know for sure would make the three. Maybe we should have done that for the Pixar one, too. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's worth discussing. Anyway, the films we have on today's list are... Jaws 2, 3, and 4, Orca, the Lake Placid series, the Anaconda series, Jurassic Park 2 and 3, Congo, Arachnophobia, the Open Water series, the Tremors series, the Ghost in the Darkness, Eight-Legged Freaks, and Roar. So Tara, do you have any particular feelings about animal attack movies? Good opening. I like that. Yeah, see? I gave it to you. (laughs) It's very nice. There are two things I want to say about the, I guess, genre of animal attack movies. Would you consider that kind of a genre? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's usually just part of horror, but yeah, it could be a a subgenre. Okay. Two kind of small things. Number one, I'm a biologist by trade, by training, by education. I've been a zookeeper. I have a lot of experience with a lot of different animals. When I watch some of these movies, or pretty much all of these movies, I have to turn off that scientific part of my brain that screams out, none of this can actually happen. Obviously, with all movies, we know that there's a suspension of disbelief when you put anything on the screen. So when I watch movies like Eight-Legged Freaks, I can't instantly think spiders really would not get that big. They would just collapse under their own weight. Because in this movie, that is something that can happen. It is totally acceptable and normal for this something to happen. Well, yeah, and I will counter with... In Raiders of the Lost Ark, ghosts come out of a box and melt Nazis. Yes, but Raiders of the Lost Ark... (laughs) It's a movie. ...is... Kind of that fantasy exploration kind of movie. You you accept that that could happen. It's handled mostly with realism up until specters coming out of an ancient box <laughs> and melt Nazis. But just the very fact that the Ark exists and there's some kind of threat about the Ark of the Covenant. That in itself, you know, everything else in the movie is pretty real. I have to buy that this is real as well. You still have to turn part of yourself off to go, I can still enjoy this for being just a movie. I think part of my problem is your examples, because if you're talking about giant mutant spiders, you've already lost the realism argument. But like arachnophobia is supposed to be, you know, realistic in that these are supposed to be real spiders from South America, and they're still just little spiders. But once you're talking about like 12 foot wide spiders attacking semi trucks, (laughs) there's really no (laughs) argument for realism anymore. That's true. But again, suspension of disbelief. And if they get any parts of this right biologically, 
that's cool, but it's probably not going to happen. The other thing I was going to make a kind of quick point about, almost all of these movies or the genre in general could almost be renamed home invasion movies from the point of view of the animals. For 90% of these movies, if the humans just didn't go in the water, didn't go to the lost city. (laughs) There'd be no movie. There'd be no movie. But you can also kind of justify, hey, these are animals. I mean, they are, like in arachnophobia, they are the bad guys. And you can't really argue that, okay, we brought them there. They don't know what they're doing. They're just spiders. Like, no, it's a movie. They're the bad guys. Yeah. Roar, we'll get to. Roar's a completely different situation. But you can't say like Tremors. Well, I guess they shouldn't have settled in the desert. No. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and get into it. There is one on here that I know Tara has not seen, which is Roar. My first thought was the Katy Perry video, and I'm pretty sure that's not what you're talking about. Yeah, no. Okay, so Roar was made in the late 70s, and it finally came out in 1981, and it is a very... Wait, wait, wait. 70s and came out in... So how long was this in production? About four years. That's not too bad. Uh, Just wait and see. I mean... (laughs) I'm very curious to hear your reaction to this, Tara. (laughs) I'm, I'm guessing from the title, it's probably about cats or bears. Roar is about a big cat sanctuary, kind of like you see on Tiger King, I suppose. <laughs> like something Joe Exotic had. Okay. So this family has a large, open, multi-acre sanctuary full of lions, tigers, and even elephants. And they're like caged up or they're free? No, them? they're loose. And the movie is about the cats basically going wild and terrorizing the family. But the thing is, is that none of the cats are trained. The main actor in the film is also the director and the owner of the sanctuary with his wife, who's also in the movie, who was Tippi Hedren from The Birds. There are scenes where like the guy who owns the sanctuary is giving a tour with a new employee and one of the cats keeps trying to attack him and you see like blood coming off of his hand and the actor playing the new employee, you can see actual fear on his face. So when you say they're not trained, it's not that in the movie they're not trained, it's they're outside the movie not trained. In real life, the sanctuary is populated by non-actor cats. These are not trained lions that do tricks. These are basically wild. How would you even... <laughs> yeah, completely bonkers that they even thought this was a good idea. And the whole point of the film was trying to create awareness about saving these beautiful big cats. But they essentially made a horror movie. If you're going to try to raise awareness to save some beautiful animals, maybe don't show them as bloodthirsty killers out to destroy a human family. It's more like people trapped in this house while animals tear it apart. The elephant rips this boat apart, and I don't think it was planned. Okay, I I know the 70s was a different time, but why would you ever think this was a good idea to use non-trained animals? Non-trained 600-pound cats? When the movie finally came out, the tagline was, No animals were harmed in making this motion picture. 70 cast and crew members were. And that right there, yeah. Actually, the director of photography on the movie was Jan de Bont, the man who eventually directed Speed and Twister. He was scalped making that movie, making Roar. He had to have a scalp reattached. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a comparison for this. It's <laughs> almost like if they decided, hey, we're going to do Jaws, but instead of having Bruce, we're going to just have a great white shark we keep like trapped in this cove and constantly shoot shots of him destroying the boat and almost eating the cast. Fun fact, actually, when Jaws was in pre-production, there was a studio exec who didn't understand that you couldn't train a great white. But that would have been a very fun movie, you know, an actual shark. And they're out there, I can imagine, no, no, biting him yet, learn your lines. Yeah, the only really comparable example I can maybe think of is kind of like a jackass movie. Roar is bonkers. 
I am almost tempted to keep it just because it's one of those you have to see it to believe it kind of movies. It's not really a good movie. Well, no, because half the time they couldn't remember their lines because they were running for their lives from the sound of it. It's one of those movies where you watch like with your hand on the side of your face and your mouth open because you can just see everyone's faces. And as long as you know this, the backstory, as long as you know that they were really in those rooms with those giant cats, it does create some suspense. But overall, it's just not exactly a good movie. At some point with Roar, how do you excuse bringing your child onto the <laughs> Because they were the owners in real life of the sanctuary. Why would you assume that these animals are just totally fine? The sarcastic but genuine answer is because they love them. Really, like that really comes <laughs> that's down, is, that's what it comes down to. They loved these lions, which is cute and nice. And there are some flaws in some of these people's overall thought process. If you watch Tiger King, Carol Baskin, and Joe Exotic. Do you think they saw Roar as a kid and took the wrong message from it? It's very possible. It's very possible. I have no idea. But with Roar, though, at least the sanctuary itself was essentially a giant open safari. I I don't know how many acres they had, but it was just big open land. Was the theme of the movie supposed to be don't have animals where humans are? No. the, The idea was, again, to create awareness, to save these beautiful animals. And show them destroying a house to do so. Yeah, I I don't get it. I don't understand. But Roar is absolutely a curiosity. I am probably not going to keep it only because I already see some other movies that are quite a bit better on here. I'm just thinking of the fact that one of my cats that I've had since she was a kitten, she bit me on the hand last year. Little white fluffy cat with blue eyes, Disney princess cat all the way. I can't imagine being around larger animals like lions, tigers. Watching the guy play wrestle with one of the lions, like it's all cute, and the music's all cute, but you see blood pouring off his hand. <laughs> like, what are they thinking? And it's real blood. It's not it's like real it's blood. fake blood. It's it's not, none of the blood is fake. Everyone lived. Well, that's not saying much. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm going to hang on to it for now. I don't anticipate it's going to be one of the three, but it's a unique film. If it is one of the three, you have to add a little caveat on there that this is not a scripted film. These animals are actually wild. They are not trained. Well, no, it is scripted, just not for the cats. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Let's jump to one of the fun ones. I want to talk about the Lake Placid series. Tara, did you know that there are six of them? I knew there were two. I didn't know they made more, but I guess that makes sense because why not keep making them? Yeah, I mean, Killer Crocs, Giant Crocodile, that seems like an easy movie to make. And they're the saltwater crocodile, so they're definitely big. What do you mean saltwater? It takes place in a lake. It's called Lake Placid. Yeah, but this is an estuarine crocodile. Okay, we're not getting into that. No, 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 (laughs) I don't care. It's a giant crocodile movie that eats people. Although, fun fact, for a franchise that has six entries, it doesn't actually take place at Lake Placid. The title is a joke. The movie takes place at Black Lake, and one character makes the joke because Lake Placid was taken. That's the (laughs) joke. And obviously Placid meaning calm or whatnot. Ha ha ha. That's a joke in itself. By the time you get to Lake Placid 6, you might wonder, is it ever going to take place at a Lake Placid? For this franchise, there's part two, part three, the final chapter. Then I think the fifth one was Lake Placid versus Anaconda, which is a hilarious title if you think about it, because how does a lake fight an anaconda? Geography versus snake doesn't make sense. That's true. And then the sixth one, I think, was called Origins or Legacy, like Lake Placid Legacy, Lake Placid Origins, one of those, I forget. I hate that so much. Look at the Resident Evil titles and tell me which one is part two. If I say Afterlife, which one is that? If I say Retribution, which one is that? Just put a number. I would think Retribution <laughs> would at least be after number one, but that. Yeah, well, they're all after number. part one. It could be like, you know, 2, 14. Either way, I'm going to cross off all the sequels. 
They are not terrible. So essentially the Lake Placid sequels are sci-fi channel movies. Whatever that means to you, if you like sci-fi channel, you kind of know what to expect if you've seen any of those. So they're not exactly good, but I'm absolutely keeping part one. I think part one is a perfect 80 minute, hilarious, exciting, sarcastic film. It's very sarcastic. And I think, is this where Betty White kind of made her first comeback after Golden Girls and so forth? Yeah, this is one of the things that Betty White did that really sort of brought her back into pop culture. I mean, she's barely in the movie, if I remember, like maybe for like 10 minutes, if that. Yeah, she's not really in the movie, but her role is very memorable and kind of important overall. It's kind of like how Hannibal Lecter's not really in Silence of the Lambs that much, but he still ran away with the show. I've said before that some short movies, I I will call bite size, that are perfect because you don't always need filler. And if you want to make just a quick, mean, fun little roller coaster ride, I think Lake Placid is awesome. My only complaint really at all is that every character pretty much has the same sarcastic voice. You can tell that the same person wrote all the characters because they all sound the same. That's not such a huge complaint because it's very funny. I love how biting the humor is. Like everyone just kind of hates each other and it's hilarious. But you could literally switch who says almost every single line and it wouldn't make you blink. The end sequence too is kind of fun because you don't know that there are two crocodiles and then all of a sudden a second one pops up out of nowhere and they just grenade it in the mouth and that's it. And they're just like, oh, I guess there were two. Yeah, I guess there were two. And my first thought, of course, there's two. There's going to be a nest. That's why it's so cute at the end with Betty White. You know, I don't know why she's feeding them bread. Crocodiles don't eat bread? No. I mean, they'll eat pretty much anything, but that's not what you want to feed It's like feeding the ducks. That's why. It's just, it's cute. But I love Lake Placid. I love it a lot. Steve Miner directed it, and he also did Halloween H2O, which is another less than 90-minute bite-sized horror movie. I like it. I like it a lot. Lake Placid is almost definitely going to be one of my three. I do like the shortness and how quick they get to everything. There's not a whole lot of pointless filler. So Lake Placid's staying for now. The next series I'm going to talk about is Anaconda. There are at least five because there's parts one and two that both went to theaters, part three and four that went straight to video, and maybe even the sci-fi channel as well. I don't remember. And then there was Lake Placid versus Anaconda. So I think it's just the five. The sequels are terrible. Wait, number two is in theaters? Yeah. And that was one of those ones where they just add the S on the end. It was Anaconda's. Like Alien and Aliens instead of a part two. They thought they could trick you. Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. At the end of part two, the snake falls in the water. I think it's a well, but they pour a bunch of gasoline in there. And then the snake pops up. Big slow motion, climactic moment. And they fire a flare gun into the snake's mouth and the snake explodes. And and, and again, I'm not going to argue realism. I get it. But the snake wouldn't explode. I don't like any of the sequels. I do have an appreciation for the first one. I'm probably going to lose some people here. Maybe. I think John Voight should have been nominated for an Oscar for the first Anaconda. He does a crazy, crazy accent. He's over the top. He's almost screaming out, I'm the bad guy. And the entire time you're yelling at the rest of the, the cast, what else does he have to do? He's clearly not helping you. Right. Even if you don't understand what he's doing or why he's acting the way he is, you can't keep your eyes off him. He is so good. And even Ebert liked this movie. He gave it like three and a half stars out of four. It's just one of those bonkers out there over the top performances a lot of people will probably think that he's terrible for this exact same reason but he's so interesting yeah i love john nobody else in that entire crew had any real kind of personality other than the dude who gets injured and needs like the tracheotomy which kind of was really creepy and freaked me out as a kid and then there's john voight even if he's the bad guy you're kind of rooting for him just because he is so interesting. And I love how the snake barfs him up at the end and he <laughs> winks. He's alive enough to wink. <laughs> I've got snakes. I know this is never going to happen. 
But and it's a cool moment. It's a cool moment. I'm hanging on to Anaconda for now, except uh, it's not really that good. Really, I'd only be keeping it because of John Voight. The movie itself kind of skirts the line between stupid bad and fun bad. The movie doesn't have a clear uh, quality. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to it for now. It might fall off the list pretty early on. The Anaconda special effects aren't the best, but they're not Ooh, the worst either. Actually, I'm glad you said that. I want to bring that up real quick. They knew that they only had a limited budget for the effects. And so what they did was the effects get better as the movie goes. Mm-hmm. They put their money towards the later half of the movie. By the time you get to the end sequence, the end sequence is where the snake looks the best, which, which is really works. smart. That's actually smart because then people will walk away more satisfied. All right, let's pick apart a dumb one real quick. Congo. Well, it's about gorillas by the same guy that did that great dinosaur movie. How weird can this actually be? Yeah. And then we saw how. Congo is interesting because it came out right at that tipping point between practical and special effects. And if Congo had come out even just two years later, all of the wild apes in the movie would have been CG. But it is also kind of not quite peak 90s in the way you think of great blockbusters. I do like Congo just from the bad effects, the silly story. You kind of forgot this was supposed to be a scary adventure. There is a lot of fun to be had with Congo. Imagine... I think the comparison would be maybe like The Mummy, yes. where, the, not the not the Tom Cruise one, the, <laughs> no, no, the, no, no, the no. original Brendan Fraser one. Imagine if The Mummy didn't have really any computer effects, but that same kind of sense of adventure and slight silliness. That's kind of like Congo. Really, if Congo had come out just five years earlier, nobody would care about puppet men jumping around <laughs> in gorilla suits. I don't love the film. I'm going to cross it off. Congo isn't the worst thing. It's just you need to understand when it came out and really accept that. It was a fun movie. What I mostly remember about Congo, other than the guys in the suits jumping around, the ending was a kind of a fun... Laser, the, the, the diamond laser thing. Yeah. And then at one point, she's actually using this weapon armed with a diamond and just cutting these things in half. Like, there's absolutely no hesitation of, oh, these are animals. No. She's like, no, they're all going to die. And just yeah. starts racking up the body count. This might be really dated, but I can also remember... Taco Bell had tie-ins with Congo for merchandising. Did they? No. I remember distinctly trying to get a certain watch, because you could get watches if you went to the Taco Bell and bought them. This is one of the few ones I want to see a prequel to. I want to see what the city was like before it became this decayed diamond empire. I could see a a remake, though, with today's effects. I mean, I'm not not one to champion CG. Yeah, but... (laughs) But Although I do, I love man in suit movies like Godzilla. I love mm-hmm. that stuff. I would probably be, probably be cool with a remake of Congo, I think. I want to see the rebellion. I know they had that in Planet of the Apes. These gorillas, it was made very clear, they were once pretty normal gorillas. And then the people that had the city started breeding them to be better slaves. And now, fast mm-hmm. forward how many decades in the future, and you got people sneaking around like, oh, cool, look, there's diamonds literally everywhere. I'm going to cross it off just because there are better movies on this list, but if I had, say, four or five to keep, I'd probably keep Congo just because of how over-the-top everything is. I'm going to cross off Orca. I don't have a whole lot to say. That one was a direct and deliberate ripoff of Jaws. What I remember of Orca, though, is that it basically took Jaws and made it more of a big-budget exploitation film, which normally would be right up my alley. It's just not any good. I know Tara's looking at me like like she loves this movie. <laughs> I don't love this movie, but this came out right after Jaws in the 70s, right? So many knockoffs. But this is actually a really kind of dark, vengeful movie. The female whale, when they capture her, she has a bloody miscarriage. And everyone kind of freaks out on the deck. And then the main captain's like, okay, get that off my deck. Literally uses 
like a high pressure hose and just blast the scene into the water. I actually have a kind of love hate with Orca because I know it was a ripoff on Jaws. It's just still a, a very good product of its time. All I enjoyed right. it. I thought it was fun. It's a specific animal getting specific revenge. Yeah, I guess you could say it's like Jaws 4 in that aspect. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, all right. Well, I'll let you keep your appreciation of Orca. I'm going to hold on to Orca for all now. Right, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Let's go ahead and get back to those Jaws sequels. I think that Jaws 3D is pretty awful. The effects are terrible. I like the cast in it. I like that they tried to change it up by having it take place basically at SeaWorld. But it's not good. Jaws 4 is hilariously, laughably bad, almost to the point of legend. Didn't Michael Caine make a point about Jaws 4 that he's never seen it because he knows it's a trash movie? But have you seen what that trash movie built him? The quote was, I've never seen it, but I've seen the house that it paid for and it's beautiful. I remember seeing Jaws 4 as a kid. That was actually the first Jaws I ever saw. Mm -hmm. There were two different endings. So as a kid, I kept imagining, I thought the, the dude Jake, he survived. But then in the next one I saw, he didn't survive. I believe he dies in the theatrical. And then when it went to a lot of TV stations, he lives. Real quick, just to point out, it is pretty commonplace even today, but especially in the 80s and 90s, for a movie when it plays on television to be edited differently than the theatrical version. And usually that's just because they have to fill a certain runtime. So when a movie airs on TBS or NBC, it has to fill a two-hour block or a three-hour block with commercials. So if the movie doesn't have a runtime that matches that need that they have for that specifically two- or three-hour block, they will add deleted scenes or alternate scenes in order to extend its length. That's why you get movies like Mallrats, where the TV cut version is remarkably different. I do like part two. It's not great. It is really a retread. It really is just kind of like the same movie again. Yeah. But I do like Jaws 2. It's not great. I don't love it. I'm not going to champion it. But I do like Jaws 2. It is a perfectly fine sequel. It's not a masterpiece like the first movie. (laughs) Jaws 1 is incredible. But Jaws 2 is fine. It's perfectly fine. That sounds almost like me saying cute in the Pixar thing. It's a cute movie, so it's still, it's an okay movie. Oh, when when people say it's fine, that usually means a little something else, sure. If you like Jaws and you want to watch another well-enough-made shark movie, then sure, watch Jaws 2. Why not? Thinking about it, I'm going to bring back Jaws 4 really quick. The opening scene to Jaws 4 kind of traumatized me as a kid, even though you could clearly tell the dude is hiding his arm inside his jacket. Yeah, when the son is killed at the beginning, he's wearing yeah. a, uh, almost like It, almost like uh, the little, what's the yeah, boy? Georgie. Georgie at the beginning of It, yeah. Even though I could tell he literally has his arm inside his jacket, Just the thought of clinging to life like on a buoy and you're bleeding to death and you're screaming for help and it's totally dark and whatever's out there is still coming for you. And there's people within visual range, Mm -hmm. but it's dark and they're singing Christmas carols and that's what you die to. I will give them that, exactly like what you just said. The opening scene where he dies is actually pretty well made. It is a a well-shot, relatively tense scene. Yeah. And it's the only time in the movie where anything really ever seems like it was made by somebody competent. The rest of it is pretty much just things that don't make sense, like Michael Caine running out of the water and his clothes are totally dry. Uh, well, continuity, but, whatever. But, but yeah, the opening part felt like it was almost with a different Shark Attack movie. Kind of, I mean, I hate to say scary because you know it's a movie, but it was still very scary for Jaws 4. It was the only hopeful part of the film. <laughs> the only hopeful part? That was no, 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 no. As a viewer. Okay, was, like, that wasn't that, hopeful. That, he died. No, so no, that horrible. was going to be good. All right, I'm definitely crossing off three and four. I'm keeping Jaws 2 for now, but. Actually, you know what? Never mind. I'm crossing off Jaws 2. I, I see what else is on this list. I'm crossing off Jaws 2. You know, watch it. Whatever. It's fine. I'm crossing off all three. If I could keep just like a five-minute 
blurb of one, it would be the opening to Jaws 4. I'm crossing off The Lost World Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park 3. I actively dislike The Lost World. I think it's a bad film. You didn't like the the Velociraptor ballerina gymnastic stuff? No. And I think there's a fair comparison between The Lost World and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where both of them were sequels that Spielberg didn't necessarily want to do. And I just don't think his heart was in either of those. Did number three have a other title to that or just Jurassic Park 3? No, it was just Jurassic Park 3. And Jurassic Park 3 is one of those movies, as mentioned earlier, it's short, it's under 90 minutes, it's a fun, bite-sized little movie. I don't hate Part 3, it's a little dumb. It's what I would call a disposable sequel, kind of like Terminator 3, where you can watch it and enjoy yourself. Sure, there's, there's fun to be had, but you're not going to remember it or care the next day. Jurassic Park 3, I mostly remember for Alan's nightmare on the plane with the Alan, Alan. So no, what, what Tara didn't say is that he imagines that a velociraptor is talking to him and he wakes up. It was a nightmare. Three is fine. Doesn't it have the T-Rex losing though? Is that the first one we saw the T-Rex losing or was that? They show the Tyrannosaurus die. How about the, the parents running it on the beach and screaming their son's name despite being told, hey, there's a lot of predators out no, here. No, but, here, but here's the thing though. That, that's, that's a character flaw in the film. A character flaw is not a plot hole. They are idiots I in know, the context of the film. But they're so stupid that you you are actively rooting for the dinosaurs to eat them. Yeah, I want the dinosaurs to eat the parents. I'm crossing off both of them. Are you? I just don't get the Lost World at all. It's I know Ian Malcolm boring. was like the, the I know he's like the best character to come out of Jurassic Park. Why did they make it so bad? I'm gonna say something that's not gonna sound nice. But remember when we talked about the Cars movies and how Cars Two failed because they took a sidekick and made them the main character. Mm-hmm. Ian Malcolm is not the main character in Jurassic Park. He's sidelined halfway through the movie. Yeah. He's essentially kind of like the funny sidekick role. I love Jurassic Park. I love Jeff Goldblum in it. But he is not the focus of the film. He's and the, then they give him the lead in part two and part two sucks. At least with Alan, there makes some sense. He would maybe go to a dinosaur island. The Lost World to me was kind of like watching. This sounds bad. Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. It's like they took the foundation of that first movie and just twisted the dial in exactly the wrong way. Precisely. Yeah. No, that's good. All right. So we're crossing those off. I don't see the Jurassic World series on here. Is that because that's more of a... There hasn't been a good Jurassic Park movie since part one. That's it. Part one is the only good movie. Seven is going to be Dinosaurs with Guns, and that one I will watch. Well, Seven will be a reboot, I think. Again, they're going to start over again, because they're not going to stop making a billion dollars a year. Unless the dinosaurs have, like, bulletproof everything, yeah, it's not going to... Oh, yeah, no, no. You you, you can't tell me that humanity is at risk because a bunch of dinosaurs got out. Like, come on, we have nukes. We'll be fine. Oh, no, no. The the, the kid who proved that she was a clone released all the other cloned animals because they have just as much right to live as we do. No. I'm going to cross off the Open Water series. There are three of them. Part one went to theaters. It was one of those Blair Witch-style, super cheap independent films that ended up being a big success. Two and three are straight-to-video. The first movie, I got motion sickness watching. (laughs) It is a little boring. It's short, which is great, but there's only so much you can do with two people floating in the water. It is tense. It is scary, but it's hard to be scared when you're also bored. Even Life of Pi had like a tiger... And a fantasy element yeah. and, and an island that was alive and all sorts of weird, crazy stuff. Yeah. I did scuba diving before. I can't anymore because my ears are messed up. But scuba diving's great. It's fun. I think if open water had come out the time Jaws did, I don't think anyone would scuba dive these days. The ending, though, is kind of what made me go, oh, well, this is one of those movies. Because she literally takes off her BC, her inflatable vest, 
pushes it away and then just drops. Yeah, rather, she just lets herself drown. Rather drown than be eaten by sharks, which if I was in that situation, probably do the same thing. No, I would fight the sharks and I would train one and I would ride it like a horse. This is not roar, dude. I'm cutting that. Okay. Um, I'm going to cut all of open water, but as someone who did scuba dive, it is kind of a scary thought. Down or ending it, I can't imagine like leaving that movie after the theaters and going like, man, that was a great movie. <laughs> I'm going to cross off The Ghost and the Darkness, but I'm going to say that I like that movie a lot. It is a good movie. It is a very good movie. I'm only crossing it off because I'm starting to see the pieces fall into place for what's left and what I've saved so far. But if you want to watch a lion hunt movie, taken seriously. Dark in the right ways. I don't recall too much humor in the movie. It's very serious. Yeah. And it's based on a true story of two lions basically stalking and killing a whole bunch of people in a town in Africa. And biologically, it's uncommon for two alpha males like that to team up. It's very cool. It's a well-made movie. Michael Douglas is badass in it. He is given top billing, but he's only in a small part of the movie because they sort of give him the Janet Lee and Psycho treatment. Spoilers. They kill him off about halfway through the movie. I don't remember him being in too much of it. They kill him in his tent while he's sleeping and they just find his body. And so as a viewer, you're watching it and you're like, wait, the super awesome hunter just got killed while he was sleeping? At least Quint and Jaws went out kind of like, you know, went out awake and fighting as opposed to just falling overboard because he was drunk in the shark. Right, right. But Ghost in the Darkness is cool. It's a good movie. I like it. I just don't have the room for it right now. So I'm crossing it off. I kind of hate to cut it, but it was a good movie though. Well, while we're talking about lions and cutting, I'm going to go ahead and cross off Roar real quick just because, again, (laughs) I I see what's going on. I see what's left. Roar is a curiosity, but that's it. So I'm crossing it off. Can you imagine if the guys that did Roar did the ghost in the dark? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. That that would definitely change the tagline. People would have died. All right. I do want to talk about Eight-Legged Freaks, which I do have a bit of a personal connection to. I do rewatch it semi-regularly because I'm a very nostalgic person. And it was filmed near where I used to live. And the mall in the film was my childhood mall. That was where I went as a kid every week, where I spent all my time at the dollar theater that was called Valley West Cinemas. The mall where they filmed Eight-Legged Freaks is where I get the namesake for this show. That's how much that mall meant to me. Eight-Legged Freaks was filmed there. They destroyed the mall. I remember driving by the mall when they were filming, and you could see all of the studio trucks, the grip trucks, all the trailers. You could see where they rebuilt the fake roof that they use in the movie on the actual parking lot. I was across a parking lot from Scarlett Johansson at one point in time because she's in the movie, and of course, she was like a nobody back then. Yeah. I will never be that close to Scarlett Johansson in my life ever again. The movie itself, it's fun. It's dumb fun, but it's dumb on purpose. Yeah. Borderline Looney Tunes, jokey on purpose. Like there's a part where a cat is getting killed by a giant spider, and you see the cat's imprint coming out of the drywall. Very, very Looney Tunes. It plays to that. It doesn't make one or two moments Looney Tunes and everything else is dead serious. Yeah, it's it's silly on purpose, and so if you can have fun with that, it's amusing uh, if you want to watch a monster movie that takes itself in no way seriously in any shape or form. <laughs> but for me, it's really just more of a nostalgia thing because in the film, if you watch the mall sequences, if you look down the mall, you can actually see the marquee of the Dollar Theater there. And I miss that. I miss that so much. I hate to say it just from a nostalgia perspective, but it is being crossed off for me. What about you? Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. As far as what we have left, it's just Arachnophobia and the Tremors series. For Tremors, I'm going to say 100% right now, Tremors Part 1 is one of my three. And not just one of my three, it is one of my three all-time. Top three all-time. I love Tremors so much. 
I think Tremors is perfect, except for one sequence where the doctor and his wife are being attacked and the Graboid buries their station wagon. For some reason, I've just never liked that sequence. It just bugs me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. But other than that, I love Tremors so much. (laughs) Part two is pretty entertaining. It clearly had its budget cut. It was meant to be theatrical. And then when Kevin Bacon wouldn't sign on for part two, they cut its budget from like 14 million to 5 million or something like that. Why didn't he want to do it again? He didn't even want to do the first one. He thought it was a huge mistake. And the first one didn't do very well at the box office, but it became a cult hit. He tried to do a TV series and it never got picked up. You can watch the trailer for the pilot. It looks awesome. Only like a couple years ago. It looks awesome. I like part two. It is cheap. The budget does betray the movie, unfortunately. Mm. Three sucks. I'm cutting it. There are seven of them, by the way. There are seven Tremors movies. I'm cutting part three because part three is essentially just the pilot for the Tremors TV show that was on the sci-fi channel. The movie is not that good. It's, It's barely even a movie. Four is the one where they do the prequel thing, which I normally don't care for, but it takes place in the Old West. So if you have like Gatling guns and revolvers versus Graboids, Old West style, that's a lot of fun. And it's actually surprisingly good. And then they took a a 10-ish year break, and then they did parts five, six, and seven, which have Michael Gross, who's been in all of them. They added Jamie Kennedy for parts five and six, at least, as Burt's son. Seven, a lot of people like seven. I didn't. I didn't like the way it was filmed. Six is a little boring. There's stuff to like in five. Seven is one of those movies where I wish I could like it the way other people do. I I don't see what they see. I just don't. But either way, I'm cutting all the sequels. The only one that I would really go to bat for, or the only ones that I would really go to bat for are two and four. But all the sequels I am cutting. Tremors 1, 100%. I'm keeping it. It's perfect. It's great. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Okay. I really like Tremors 4. I was going to say, I didn't know they had 5, 6, and 7, but 4 was with the old Wild West. Uh-huh. You could do so much more with that. That is, I mean, you can almost do like an entire series just on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the idea of introducing a scenario and you add limitations. Yes. And when you take giant underground monsters and put them in a world where it's just horses and revolvers, what are they going to do? It was a little more interesting, at least to me. I know yeah. you love Tremors 1, but... Tremors You're not going to say 4 is better. No, I'm not saying 4 is better, but okay. I'm saying 4 is more entertaining than that fact that they are so limited in what they could do. Mm -hmm. They could do Tremors 4, like, obviously, in different locations and different parts of time all over the world. Tremors in space. Maybe not space. You could put them almost anywhere and make it fun. Yeah, well, unfortunately, they tried that with part six, I think it was. Yeah, part six was a cold day in hell. Tremors in the snow. All the other ones take place in desert. Just visually, it changed the environment and the experience of the characters dealing with snow and fighting these creatures. That sounds kind of cool. But they essentially abandoned it almost immediately. The snow is irrelevant. It looks like they're just filming it with big jackets. It doesn't look (laughs) like they're even in snow at all. And it feels really pointless. So are you keeping one or four or either? Looking over the list, I think I'm going to drop them both, actually. I hate you so much. (laughs) I'm looking at you like, you're mad because I'm still holding on to Orca, but I dropped Tremors. Spoiler alert for those keeping track, I'm going to double back and cross off Anaconda, which does leave me with only three movies left, including one we haven't talked about yet, which will obviously end up being one of my three. So let's talk about Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. I love this movie. I'm just going to say, you love Tremors 1 so much. Arachnophobia, even as a kid, I was like, this is a scary movie, but it's not scary in the way that Jaws 4 opening was scary. I love Arachnophobia too, and I am going to sort of assume what it is you're about to try to say as far as the mood and tone of Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia is an Amblin movie. I don't know what that means. Amblin is Steven Spielberg's company. Okay. It has that particular look that Spielberg movies have, Mm -hmm. and it has that balance of humor and scary without crossing the line into true horror, and so it looks like poltergeist it looks like et it looks and feels like jaws it has that sense of adventure in the danger you believe characters are going to die or can die 
And they do. But it never becomes dire. It has that fun, adventurous spirit that Spielberg movies have, like E.T. And just the movie poster itself was amazing looking because it's, you know, got the the very picturesque house and it's got all framing with the, the beautiful trees and it has a single spider dropping down right in the center of it. And then watching and thinking, it's a spider. It's not a giant spider. It's just a spider. How bad can this actually be? I don't know the name of it, but they did use a real spider in this movie. Yeah. I don't know what species it was, but it looks creepy. The spiders are all either puppets, miniatures, or real spiders. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a ton of them. You can't train a spider. Just going to throw that out there. So John Goodman is just phenomenal in that movie. That's yeah. what I mostly remember him as the exterminator. The story flows well. The characters, you actually have a feel for them. You like certain ones. You dislike certain ones. You realize pretty early on that a lot of people are going to die because you see like the spider going into a shoe or one of the spiders hiding in like the football player's mm-hmm. helmet. Arachnophobia is great. The only complaint I have, and this might be true to nature, I don't know. They do that thing where if you kill the queen in the nest, then that saves the day. If you have any of those spiders left, they can still hybridize with something else local. Well, they say in the movie that they can't breed, though. It just comes off as sort of annoying and fake in movies when they do that, where we only have to kill the queen and everything else will be fine. Yeah, they, they maybe. Kinda had, they kind of had to wrap that up. I mean, otherwise... I get it, because otherwise it's the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> that pretty much is the end of arachnophobia, though, because if any of those drones did make it, we got some big problems. Yeah, I'm sure they don't kill all the spiders, but as long as they can't breed, it'll ultimately be contained. And again, that's the minor complaint. It's a movie. They have to wrap everything up yeah. nicely. I get it. Arachnophobia is great. I already have my three. Tara, what do you have left? The four I had were arachnophobia, anaconda, Lake Placid, and orca. I'm keeping arachnophobia. Like, there's no way. That, that's right. the interview with the vampire of, like, animal attack movies because it's just so awesome. If you keep anaconda or orca over Tremors 1, we're going to have a, ch- I, I have a chicken you. run situation here. I already cut off all of Tremors. Yeah, but you can undo it. Orca. No. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Uh, What are you going to do? Well, between Lake Placid and Anaconda, because Lake Placid is awesome, but it's mostly because of Betty White. I would disagree wholeheartedly. It's not mostly because of her. She's barely in it. It's all the characters. It's hilarious. All the lines are pretty interchangeable. Not a single character stands out other than, you know, Betty White is Betty White. Mm. Unlike John Voight from Anaconda. Okay. He's just so over the top. Mm -hmm. I kind of just want to keep Anaconda over Lake Placid, so I think I'm going to do that. Why would you keep Orca over... (laughs) Never mind. All right. Tell me your three. Okay, my three, Arachnophobia, Anaconda, and Orca. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Lake Placid, Arachnophobia, and Tremors. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. That helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.